Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Anyway, time to look uh, from outside our borders. Jonathan DeBurke uh, Butler joins us once again. Uh, afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, right. Uh, Gambia, uh, we're going to go to, for, though this seems to affect many other countries apart from uh, Gambia, but a poisonous cough bottle. Yeah, this is a, a global warning that has been issued by the World Health Organization. And the root of the problem does come from the Gambia. All right, so a small country. Um, in Africa, obviously. And um, it's focusing this global alert around four cough syrups that have been manufactured by a company, a pharmaceutical company in India, right? And the reason they're looking at this is because there have been 66 children in the Gambia that have died as a result of kidney failure that they see, that the authorities there now seemed seem to have traced back to four cough syrups that have been produced by this particular company in India, okay? So the World Health Organization, rather than just issuing the, the, the alert for Gambia, has issued it for the whole world because they're not 100% sure if by hook or by crook uh, some of these bottles might have made their way into other countries, right? So right. they're just saying, look, these are the names of the four products, don't take them and uh, we're still investigating what's going on here. So it, it's quite alarming um, and obviously very sad that, you know, these 66 children have died as a result. Um, the, the, the spike in deaths happened in children under five, started coming around uh, in the late July. Um, people were uh, complaining of, uh, you know, abdominal pain, vomiting, diarrhoea, all the usual symptoms that you would get with poisoning. And when they examined these um, cough syrups in laboratories, they had to be exported from the Gambia because the Gambia is so poor it can't afford its own labs uh, oh. to do the testing on this. But when they exported them, the WHO said that the analysis of the products found that there were unacceptable amounts of two key ingredients, which I assume should have been in the cough mixture, but were in the cough mixture at a heightened level yeah. and so instead of you know medicating people effectively poison them and uh, as I said let's led to these sad deaths yeah and so it, it what it, it was manufactured in the Gambia was it no it was manufactured in, in India, India. Uh, exported to, from India to there so the Indian authorities are on this as well um, and this is why the global uh, alert has been issued because they're not too sure whether okay, so the Indian authorities know that these exports were done from India for the Gambia, mm. but they think that some bottles might. There's a possibility. They're not saying that it's it's a strong possibility, but there's a possibility that some of these bottles might have made their way from one warehouse to another into another country. You know, black market and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's why they've issued the global warning. Yeah, the uh, interesting that it was manufactured in India but not sold in India. Good point. Maybe the regulatory uh, regime there in the two countries are, are different. What's the name of it or is it going by different names? It, there is four different solutions. Mm. Uh, so it's promethazine oral solution, cofexamalin baby cough syrup, make-off baby cough syrup and magrip N cold syrup. Okay. None of them that I've ever heard of, so I, yeah. I don't think anybody here needs to worry necessarily. Right, okay. <laughs> uh, right, Austria we're going to go to next, where uh, there isn't a 
presidential runoff. Usually we hear that there is going to be one, but this is unusually uh, a fairly convincing win. Yeah, and I, I'm bringing this in because we mentioned it at the end last week of one of those things to mm. watch out for. And, and I think the reason I wanted to look at this was because I think an awful lot of the resurgence in the far right in Europe, if you remember a couple of 10, yeah. 15 years ago, an awful lot of it kind of started in Austria. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying there weren't movements in other countries, but it, 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 Austria certainly has been a focus of this over the years. But in this case, the Austrian president uh, from 2016 up until now has been re-elected, right? So that's President Alexander von van der Bellen. He's a member of the Green Party. Um, so he has won very convincingly a second six-year term uh, with a result of about 56%, right? So there were six candidates, all of the men who ran in this particular election. Uh, all the opinion polls in the run-up to this election suggested that he was going to win by quite a margin, but I don't think anybody expected it to be this big, right? So he got 56% himself and the other 44% was redistributed amongst the other five candidates. The next candidate that was closest to him was uh, from the FPO and that's the Freedom Party, okay. which is the right-wing party. It's terrible the way that right-wing parties have appropriated the term freedom, freedom. For, their, for their titles. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. The candidate for the FP, uh, FPO got 18%, so still did quite well, I suppose. Mm. But with the, yeah, without reflect on national standing in, in parliamentary. I, I yeah. think they've, they're slightly better represented in, par, in parliament okay. than they are in, the, in, that, uh, in that vote. They've gone through a bit of a rocky period in, in, in recent times. There's been a couple of scandals involving them. Um, and so they didn't do as well as they did the last time, right? And, and this is where the comparison is, is, is well worth having a look at. So back in 2016, in the first round, the FPO came out in the lead. They got 35% of the votes. They were, in fact, 10% ahead of the Green candidate who is and was Alexander van der Bellen. In the second round, van der Bellen, the current president, got in by the skin of his teeth, 50%, uh, 50.65% to Mm. 49.35. So the FPO have gone down quite a lot uh, since their last poll in this presidential race. But analysts are kind of looking at it and saying it's more to do with the popularity of Alexander van der Bellen and how well he's done during various different crises uh, that the country has gone through in the last number of years. Okay, right. Uh, and, uh, and the Austrian president, would, mm. be, would they be similar to kind of our president? Yeah. Is it more ceremonial? Yeah, thing? fairly similar, only he, he, is, he does have powers to dissolve parliament and get rid of the cabinet and the chancellor as well. Uh, more directly, I think, and in times of crisis, which they've had two of in recent years, um, he steps in and he effectively runs the show. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I was and I, I was uh, surprised, but also cheered by the fact the beer party came in third place. Though. <laughs> yes, That's, uh, good to know. the beer party did come in on third place, which was an excellent showing by them. Okay. Yeah. And are they? What? Well, they're just about beer. They are just about all about the beer. Okay, yeah, they great. did very well, though. 12% of the vote yeah. they got, which is excellent. Excellent. Uh, right, Yemen we're going to go to next. And uh, uh, the ceasefire has come to an end there. Yeah. The yeah. last time we spoke about it, mm. the ceasefire um, was just beginning. So that was back in April. And, and I remember we were here because we both follow this story because, you know, it's one of those stories that isn't reported as much as yes. yeah. maybe it should be, given a quarter of a million people have died. And, you know, there's 24 million people out of a population of 28 million people uh, who survived through foreign aid and foreign food aid. Um this has been going on for eight years and there was hope back in April that they would come up with some sort of an agreement. 
um, but they haven't and um, they haven't been slow in getting back to firing rockets and shooting at each other either since um, so um, why did it fall apart um, it seems that uh, basically the, the Houthi rebels who are the rebels that are backed by Iran in mm-hmm. the north still have a lot of skin in the game and they they had done so well inverted commas in their campaign to keep the internationally backed government out um, that they felt that they were going to lose ground that they had made by giving any concessions. Yeah. There's also the fact that there's a lot of stuff going on in Iran at the moment and the Iranians, like any regime like that, uh, will be looking for distractions, foreign agents to uh, blame for things that are going on within the country. And if they have a war going on, albeit a proxy war in a foreign country, they can look at outside you know, forces that are influencing forces inside yeah, Iran the, and, yeah, and divert the, the attention, end. right? Yeah. So it, it seems that the UN special envoy, a Swedish man by the name of Hans Grunberg, um, in his statement, he didn't specifically say that the Houthis were to blame for leaving the talks, but he said, uh, to quote him, I appreciate the position of the government of Yemen on engaging positively with my proposal. And to be honest with you, it looks like the Houthis were ready by Saturday to get out of the uh, out of the talks anyway, and uh, and they made no bones about it. Okay, so it it, it grinds on. Uh, it grinds on with no yeah, particular end in sight. With really. no particular end in sight, and really, it, it it is going to be down to Iran and Saudi Arabia to sit down and stop the whole thing. The Saudis, most analysts say have the most to lose. Mm-hmm. You might remember just before the ceasefire back in April, there was rockets launched from northern Yemen into southern Saudi Arabia uh, attacking oil fields. And that really spooked the Saudis. Okay, So they were very encouraging of these peace talks because international investors are withdrawing money and you know, there's potential mm. problems with oil exportation and all that kind of thing there. So they really want this whole thing to stop. The Iranians, not so much. And it has to be both of them. Uh, that put a stop to this. Yeah. The Saudis probably regret getting involved in the first place. Right, we'll move on from there now. Usually people freak out when North Korea launches a missile. Uh, looks like South Korea <laughs> yeah. can't be that critical either. Yes. Uh, this. So as you know, there's been an uptick in um, the North Koreans uh, launching missiles um, into the oceans. All right. So last Tuesday, they launched a missile over Japan. Yes. Uh, you, you might have heard the sirens yeah. actually going off. There was <laughs> warnings issued in Tokyo and the like. Um, so that freaked people out. But normally when this happens, the South Koreans and the Americans who have bases there in South Korea, they launch counter-missiles. It's basically a, a willy-waving exercise, yeah, for want yeah. of a better way of putting it. And this one failed, and failed quite badly. It seems to have gone up in the air from the Air Force base that it was launched and landed directly back down again without exploding, thankfully. But it did hit some things and caused a fire. And more than anything, it caused panic amongst locals who took videos of it, put it up on social media. And of course, at that stage, the South Korean military uh, had to admit that they had made a mistake okay. and a big one at that. Very embarrassing. Uh, and finally, uh, a Native American woman is to uh, go into space. Yeah, just thought we'd end with a positive mm. story. Uh, this is Nicole Mann, uh, who's uh, the commander on a mission to the International Space Station that launched on Wednesday. They're going to be there. I think it's herself and three men are going to be there for the next six months. Uh, 
doing what they do on the International Space Station, <laughs> take photographs by yeah. the looks of it. Um, but she is, she's the first Native American woman to go to space and it comes 20 years after John Harrington became the first Native American man to walk in space in 2002. So something very positive and something that she is... Uh, very keen to uh, inspire others to follow in her footsteps. Okay, what should we look out for for the next week? Or yeah, a so? few things to watch out for. I think um, on Wednesday, um, people might have seen that there was. Do you know of the Commonwealth of Independent States? It's basically these former Russian states that mm. are still vaguely friendly with Russia. Um, they have a kind of a union and they have a formal meeting in Kazakhstan later this week. All right. Now, a lot of those countries are sort of fighting with each other, but basically they're just there to listen to Putin banging on about stuff. All right. Um, they oh, did right. Have an so this is like, what did you get him for his birthday? What did you get him for his exactly. birthday? Exactly. Yeah. And they had yeah. an informal meeting in St. Petersburg at the weekend, which you might have saw, which looked very, um, it didn't look like a lot of fun, to be yeah. honest with you. So this is the formal <laughs> meeting. The only good thing about this is that it, um, President Erdogan is going to be there. there. He's not a member of that, that um, union as such, but he's there to talk to Putin. Now, what and he's trying means. to cast himself he's, as a mediator. Yeah, as a mediator, this, exactly. Yes, yes. So we'll see how that goes. Then the other big one is on Sunday, China is to hold the 20th uh, Communist Party Congress and that starts on the 16th of October. Going to be very interesting. Um, it looks like Xi Jinping is going to just consolidate power and become ruler for life if he hasn't already done it. But we'll yeah. see how it goes. Jonathan, thanks a million. As ever, Jonathan de Burker Butler there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2 pm on News Talk.